a BrainIron.com production. Here's 11 minutes or so of news for today, Monday, February 12th, 2024. Attorneys for former President Donald Trump filed an appeal to the Supreme Court on Monday in the hopes that the court will essentially pause his trial over felony charges that he tried to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election and block the transfer of power to President Joe Biden until after the conclusion of this year's November election. Quote, former President Trump's claim that presidents have absolute immunity from criminal prosecution for their official acts presents a novel, complex, and momentous question that warrants careful consideration on appeal, end quote. His attorneys wrote, adding, quote, conducting a months-long criminal trial of President Trump at the height of election season will radically disrupt President Trump's ability to campaign against President Biden, which appears to be the whole point of the special Council's persistent demands for expedition. End quote. This request is essentially the inverse of the request made by Prosecutor Jack Smith back in December, when he asked the court to step in and decide the immunity question without waiting for the case to make its way through the appeals process, a request the court declined. Rather than even asking the court to decide on the immunity question at the heart of the dispute, Trump simply wants the court to allow him to raise his appeal with the full D.C. Court of Appeals, which would inevitably delay the trial. It's not yet clear how the Supreme Court will proceed. They could deny a stay, allowing the trial to resume. They could deny review of the D.C. court's decision, essentially ending Trump's immunity claim before he could argue it before the court. They could fast-track a hearing on the immunity question, as they did with the Colorado eligibility question, or they could choose to hear the case in the normal course of events, which would have the effect of putting his trial on a significant delay. All of this is sort of a sideshow to the primary question, which is whether or not the Supreme Court will ultimately overturn last Tuesday's ruling by a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for D.C. that presidents do not enjoy absolute immunity from criminal prosecution for actions taken while president. Trump's attorneys continue to claim that, quote, without immunity from criminal prosecution, the presidency as we know it will cease to exist, end quote, an argument that has not so far been persuasive to anyone, really. A brief editorial aside. It is clear to me that the Supreme Court will ultimately conclude that Trump and other presidents do not enjoy absolute immunity from criminal prosecution for actions taken while in office. To even imagine that they could find otherwise is to believe that the court is on the verge of redefining the presidency and the person who occupies the office as existing entirely outside the bounds of the law, a radical change that would upend 230 years of both the commonsensical and technical understanding of the American presidency. In classic Trumpian fashion, the thing that he and his attorneys are claiming is just the opposite of reality. The idea that the president is absolutely immune from criminal prosecution, even after he has left office, is an affront to the central tenets of American jurisprudence as informed by Magna Carta and enshrined in the U.S. Constitution. That the co-equal branches of government must serve as a check on each of the other's power, and that no man, especially the chief executive tasked with enforcing the law, stands above it. The issue is so plain that we should not even expect the court to bother listening to arguments about it. 
If fewer than four justices believe it's worth hearing, the ruling will stand. Except for the extraordinarily fraught political moment we're living in. I suppose a cynic might readily conclude that the court would only take on the question out of some desire to fulfill Trump's stated objective, which is to delay the trial as long as possible because it is interfering with his ability to run for president. I think it's more likely that the Roberts court will hear the case on an expedited basis, as it did the Colorado eligibility issue, out of a typical overabundance of concern for the public's perception of its own legitimacy in a desire to be seen as taking the former president's claims seriously before unanimously shooting them down. Trump's insistence that allowing the criminal prosecution of a former president will usher in a new era of retributive political prosecution against ousted political rivals relies upon accepting that Trump's actions as president were no different than actions taken by previous presidents that opponents claimed were, quote, egregious and criminal, end quote. In other words, he is asking to be treated as categorically, definitionally normal when the very question of his abnormality is what is at issue in the trial. Because there exists the possibility in the human condition of politically motivated prosecution, he is saying, it must be made impossible for a president to be prosecuted. In other words, in order to prevent the possibility of lawless presidential behavior, we must categorically define all presidential behavior as within the scope of the law. To stop authoritarian creep in its tracks, we must make the president an authoritarian. If that feels like a logical dead end, of course it is, and that's the point. The whole argument is a neatly contained circle. Trump is demanding that the court codify absolute presidential immunity before another court of law can determine that his actions were in fact criminal. He's saying, you must determine that what I did was not a crime, because I was the president when I did it, or else we are on a slippery slope to constant retributive prosecution from one administration to the next. It is a near-perfect example of begging the question, in which Trump's premise that what he did was normal and legal assumes the truth of his conclusion that what he did was normal and legal. The whole thing at issue in the criminal trial is whether or not what he did was normal and legal. It feels like I'm repeating myself or bashing my head against the same brick wall in every only slightly modified sentence because the thing I'm arguing against is its own rhetorical fortress that has defined away any objections. And to a very real extent, engaging with any of this at all is playing the game on his terms, is allowing him to dictate the conversation when we had all previously agreed that this conversation was settled a long time ago, that no man is above the law. Not to be crass, but this is why the turd in the punch bowl always wins. The act of trying to fish the turd out of the punch bowl denies the obvious truth, that nobody at the party can drink any more of that punch. In shooting news, one person was killed and five more were injured on a subway train and station platform in the Bronx in New York City on Monday evening. Two groups of teenagers were fighting when someone among the groups pulled out a gun and began shooting. Only individuals struck by bullets were on the platform, and the shooter has thus far eluded capture. 
Police said that despite the fact that the shooter remains at large, quote, there is no ongoing threat, end quote, with someone from the mayor's office further suggesting that the shooting was not random, but targeted. A brief editorial aside. Though they haven't yet been identified, the victims of the shooter were between 14 and 71 years old, and the deceased is 34 years old. While I understand the official's inclination to calm the public by downplaying the likelihood that the shooter will strike again, it is a curious thing to insist that the threat is not ongoing. After all, the shooter shot a bunch of random bystanders, presumably by accident, while in a confrontation with someone. He does not appear to be terribly circumspect about the firing of a deadly weapon, which means that the threat is at least as ongoing as it was before he opened fire. Also in shooting news, a woman was killed after she opened fire inside Joel Osteen's Houston megachurch on Sunday. Two off-duty officers inside the church confronted the shooter and returned fire, killing her and injuring her seven-years-old son, who she had brought into the church with her. A man in his 50s was also shot in the hip, but the shooter was the only person killed. Police say the shooter had a documented history of mental illness, but was nevertheless permitted to legally purchase, this past December, the so-called AR-15-style rifle with which she perpetrated the shooting. The gun had a Palestine sticker on the buttstock, and investigators say they found writings by the shooter that are anti-Semitic in nature. The church, which is a massive arena that formerly housed the NBA's Houston Rockets, was relatively empty at the time the shooting began. A brief editorial aside, the gender identity of the shooter has become an object of some interest in this case because she has reportedly identified as a man, either recently or at various points in the past. The relevance of this fact is curious. It will only matter to the extent that bringing it up will do damage to one's ideological enemies. For now, it is an inescapable and intolerable facet of the culture war as fought by all sides. Identity trumps all other concerns when it is convenient, and is utterly inconsequential when it is inconvenient. And wrapping up today's shooting news, a 15-years-old Arkansas boy will be charged with murder, arson, abuse of a corpse, and evidence tampering following the discovery of three dead bodies inside a home in which he allegedly started a fire after shooting the victims. The victims were all related. Police have yet to identify the shooter nor say whether or not the teen is related to them. In sports, the Kansas City Chiefs defeated the San Francisco 49ers 25-22 in the Super Bowl on Sunday night, claiming their second title in a row and third in the last five seasons. Kansas City quarterback Patrick Mahomes was named the game's most valuable player, joining Joe Montana and Tom Brady as the only players to have been awarded the honor more than twice. Now three times for Mahomes and Montana, trailing Brady's five Super Bowl MVP awards. In a press release from CBS Sports, the network claimed that early ratings suggest that the event was the most watched telecast in history, with a total average audience of 123.4 million viewers watching across all platforms, and more than 200 million tuning in for at least some of the telecast. 
If confirmed, the ratings will be a 7% bump on top of last year's record-setting Super Bowl numbers. A brief editorial aside, I'm sure we'll get into it on the podcast tomorrow night, but for now I'll just say, that game was a lot of fun. Now, here's a look at the weather. There was a commercial during last night's Super Bowl for Pluto TV, a free ad-supported streaming service that claims to offer television as it was meant to be, namely, free and easy to consume. They presented their customer base as a bunch of human couch potatoes, literally people who had grown out of their couches into human potato chimeras that the workers at Pluto TV cultivate and grow and find strangely beautiful. I have the inclination to write a great deal about this commercial, but I don't have the time for that at the moment, so I'll just say it is very strange to me, and this commercial is by no means the only example, that a service would attempt to sell itself as something that has such an obviously negative impact on its customers. The charge that we are a hopelessly indulgent and decadent culture, a people that elevates sloth and greed and consumption and incuriosity above all else, is easily dismissed as moralizing scoldery by those who insist that whatever someone likes, they should be permitted to like. That whatever someone does, if it makes them happy, who are we to judge? But of course, that relies rather heavily on something being true that the couch potato in question is happy. Are you? That's the weather from here. How's it look out your window? The Morning Press is a production of the BrainIron.com multinational media empire. Please direct comments and complaints to brainironpodcast at gmail.com. For a transcript of today's episode and links to the stories referenced, find The Morning Press at brainiron.substack.com, where, if you would like to support this and the other podcasting and blogging endeavors of the brainiron.com media empire, you can also become a paying subscriber. If you can think of anyone else who might enjoy whatever it is we're up to around here, please consider sharing. Thanks, and barring the sudden onset of the inevitable, we'll talk to you tomorrow. The proceeding was created with 100% human content.